Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 2. Deuteronomy chapter 2. And we'll get started right away here in verse 1 in continuation. Remember, this is Moses. Moses is going to die in the wilderness. The, for all of the first generation must die, except for two. Caleb and Joshua, but there's a reason behind Caleb and Joshua, which we'll explain in our, we studied it last week, but we're going to make mention of it throughout our study through the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, Joshua and Caleb are the only two of that first generation that passed over into the promised land. Everybody else of that first generation dies, but the exact same thing is for you and me in order to pass into the promised land. And I speak of paradise. There must be a death of the former and i speak of the death of adam being born again in christ you see there's two generations inside of every believer the first generation is being born into adam that of adam but then the day we are born again that is our birth into christ you see born again and that's the generation that passes over into the promised land. So we observe these things, Israel, in accordance to the flesh, but these are in accordance to the spirit, very applicable to the Christian, to the person who abides in the new covenant, abiding in Christ. So we see here in verse 1, in continuation of what Moses is telling the people Israel, he says, Then we turned and journeyed into the wilderness of the way of the Red Sea, as the Lord spoke to me, as we skirted Mount Sair for many days, or revolved around Mount Sair for many days, is how it translates. Now, Moses, he's giving a, like a history lesson. A little history lesson for Israel to say, hey, guys, don't forget these things because I'm not going to be with you in the promised land. But when you go into the promised land, don't forget these things. You must retain these things, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You must retain these things and remember these things and understand that the Lord is reactionary. And you remember how he reacted in this area? You remember how he reacted when we did this? Do you remember how he reacted when we did this? You see, and that's what he's saying to Israel. Don't forget, Israel. He says in verse 2, And the Lord spoke to me, saying, You have skirted this mountain long enough, turning northward. Now, the, the, turn northward. These are things that aren't captured. What we see here in the book of Deuteronomy, these are things that are not captured in entirety in the book of Numbers or Leviticus or Exodus. But you see, from Moses' perspective, in saying these things to the people, we get this perspective. In verse 4, he says, And command the people, saying, You are about to pass through the territory of your brethren, the descendants of Esau. Now, remember that the, the, the promises of the Lord went from Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. Okay? And yet, we see this promise to, to Jacob, but Esau is still the descendants of Israel, which you still have that family relation, this blood relation, but this blood is in accordance to the flesh. And these descendants of Esau who live in Sair, this is referenced in Genesis chapter 33, verse 16. If you've been walking with us for a while, you remember our study in Genesis 33. He says, and they will be afraid of you. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully. Watch yourselves carefully. I love this so much because this translates in the Hebrew as to be vehemently on guard, to be protective, vehemently on guard and to be protective. You see, there's this family relation descendants of Esau there's this family relation but then understand that yes they're related there's this blood relation but who is it that yields to the Lord we see it in our own lives 
You might have a family relation, a blood relation with an aunt, an uncle, relative, cousin, nephew, niece, whoever. But yet, does that person yield to the Lord? You see? And if the answer is yes, praise be to his name. But if the answer is no, what do we have to do? We have to be on guard. Yes, I love you, cousin. Yes, I love you, uncle. Yes, I love you, nephew. But I'm not going to do crack with you. I'm not going to go to the strip club with you. I'm not going to get drunk with you. I'm not going to watch these dirty movies. I'm not going to do because I'm a Christian. Rather than you do that, you, you hang out with me. Let's go study the Bible. I don't want to do that. I don't want that. Okay, uncle. I, I'm not going to force you. I'm, as much as depends on me, I'm going to strive to live peaceably with all men. Okay, uncle. I gave you the opportunity, but if you don't want that, okay. The same thing applies with us. Blood relations, but in some regard, we have to be vehemently on guard and protective. You see? That's what the Lord is saying to the people, to Israel. I mean, the Lord is saying, but Moses is saying what the Lord is telling him to say to the people. He says in verse 5, do not meddle with them. I love that so much. It's to contend or stir them up. Do not meddle with them. I love this because, you know, just as it's written in Romans 12, verse 18, as much as depends on you, strive to live peaceably with all men. You see? For I will not give you any of the, for I will not give you any of their land, no, not so much as one footstep, because I have given Mount Sa'ir to Esau as a possession. You see, God is dealing with them. God is dealing with the descendants of Esau, the Moabites, the Ammonites. God is dealing with all these people just as the Lord dealt with Peter. Remember Peter when Peter was like, well, Lord, what about this guy? And the Lord was like, who cares? What do I do with this guy? What does that have to do with you, Peter? What does that have to do with you, Peter? Even Paul, when they desired to go up into Turkey, regions of Turkey, uh, 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 regions of Asia, which is modern-day Turkey, Regions of Asia, but the Holy Spirit, they determined that the Lord was calling them into the region of Macedonia. And we see the birth of the Corinthian church in Acts 18. But you see the Macedonian call. You see, it's so beautiful how the Lord guides and how the Lord directs. And it's, it's not to say that the Lord hates Asia Minor. It's not to say that the Lord hates the people in the region of Turkey. But Paul, that's not for you. You go to Macedonia. You see? That's not for you. Historically, there were other apostles who went into those regions, into Africa, into, you know, Asia. They went all throughout the world. And then the word spread. It's not to say that the Lord hates these, the people in Asia, the people in Africa. No, it's like, Paul, that's not, Paul, you go to Macedonia. You see? I love that so much because the Lord is... Not just directing, but he's also advising along the way. And that's what we see here in verse 5. Do not meddle with them, for I will not give you any of their land. No, not so much as one footstep, because I have given Mount Sa'ir to Esau as a possession. Now you see, the Lord is providing for Esau and the descendants of Esau. But who is it that remembers the Lord? Just like in Egypt. Just like in Egypt. Remember, the Lord blessed and saved Egypt. Through Joseph, a vessel of the Lord. And in the course of time, what happened in Egypt? They forgot the Lord. You see? And you don't see Joseph being a busybody. You don't see Moses being a busybody. No, you see these vessels of the Lord being obedient to him and their footsteps align with how the Lord is advising and guiding them. 
You see, he's very active, the Lord. And I say that I bring up busybody because that's what we see in the church today among Christians. You know, surely the Lord will want this, the Lord will want this. So you see people meddling in other people's lives. Oh, I'm a Christian, therefore the Bible says this, and therefore you have to do this. Therefore you have to do this. And people meddle. They might have good intentions, but when they meddle, if the Lord isn't guiding, that's called meddling. And when you meddle, you create a mess. Have you ever seen Christians? Christians who heed the voice of the meddler. Christians who heed the voice of one who meddles, one who is a busybody. Now, in the course of time, it just turns into a big fat mess. You see? Why? Because the Lord never guided, the Lord never advised, the Lord never said to do that. Yeah, the, the Bible says X, Y, Z, but you're interpreting it as A, B, C. You see, you see these busybodies in the church today. And you have this Old Testament example of, hey, don't meddle with them. Yeah, the Lord is saying, look, I, I, I gave them, you know, I gave them Mount Sair as a possession. But for you, Israel, watch yourselves carefully. And don't meddle with them. You shall buy food from them with money that you may eat. And you shall also buy water from them with money that you may drink. I love this so much. You know why? Because there's no strings attached. You buy Israel. You purchase. You buy with your money food. You buy with your money water. I love that so much because there's no strings attached. Imagine if we were in the camp of Israel. And we're... Traversing the lands, we're going through these regions, and one of the descendants of Esau approaches you and says, Hey, look, you know, I've heard a lot about you. I'm gonna I want to give you 50 sheep. I want to give you 50 sheep. Now, do we take it? I mean, we might have a freeloader mentality and be like, Yeah, look, the free sheep. Okay, I'm gonna take this. I can sell it, I can I can grow it and turn this sheep into a hundred sheep, a thousand sheep, or I can sell it on eBay, pull a profit, because I'm a freeloader. Look, this is no cost to me. But then when we're in the promised land, what if that guy comes back to you? The guy comes back to us and says, Wow, you have a thousand sheep? You would have never had that thousand sheep, it wasn't for me. Wow, therefore. Why don't you do this for me? Why don't you do this? I mean, give me, give, give, give me back. Give, let me get a return on my investment. You see, by the Lord saying, you know, buy food from them with money. Buy water from them with money. There's no strings attached. Nobody's lording over you. Nobody's going to lord over you. And the strings are attached to the Lord. You see, the Lord is guiding. The Lord is protecting. The Lord is giving. Now, with wisdom, you say, okay, you want to offer me 50 sheep? No, thanks. No, thanks. That food, that water, I'm going to pay for it. So, yes, your water, your food is benefiting me, but I'm also benefiting you because I'm giving you money. I'm buying it. I'm not a freeloader. You see the wisdom there? Now, I say that, you know, because a lot of times people, Christians... We get our strings attached to things that are not of the Lord. We get our strings attached to government. Oh, yeah, I like the freebies. I like the free this. I like the free that. Now, if you're in a situation that uh, deems you eligible for certain welfare benefits, there's nothing bad in that. And all those welfare, welfare programs are in place specifically for those situations. But what do we see in the world today? Abuse. Abuse. 
abuse. Now, we can look at what it does to a nation, but I don't want to do that because I'm speaking to Christians. Yes, there are aspects of that that hurts a nation when you see that rampant abuse. But I speak to Christians. I speak to the living. What happens when we have those strings attached? You see? What happens? I mean, I speak of government, but what about parents? Well-meaning parents. Sometimes not so well-meaning. But well-meaning parents who meddle. They meddle in the lives of their children. They meddle in the lives of their kids. And they talk to them. You know, a lot of meddling parents in disobedience to the Lord, they make leaving and cleaving very difficult for their kids. A boy gets married, not a boy, but a guy gets married to a a gal, a gal gets married to a guy. When parents lord over the kids, they make leaving and cleaving very, very difficult. Hey, son, you know, I... You have this nice home, this nice, nice domicile, but you know what? You wouldn't have that if it wasn't for me. You know, I gave you this. You wouldn't have that if it wasn't for me. And parents start to lord lord over their kids. And it makes leaving and cleaving very difficult. These are disobedient parents. Disobedient to the Lord. Parents, don't lord over your kids. I mean, you know, if they're little, you know, you have to, there's that aspect of lording over them because you're guiding them, you're protecting them. But when they're adults, they get married. You got to let go. Because the son has to cleave to the wife. The daughter has to cleave to her husband. They have to. In in order for them to obey the Lord. And you know what? Because you meddle, mommy. Because you meddle, daddy. You mess it up. You mess it up. You see? Don't do that. It's what the Lord is saying to Israel here. Look, you're going to pass through. I, I gave them the Mount Sair as a possession. Yes, they're blood relatives. And you know what? You're going to get food from them, but you got to buy it with money. You're going to get water from them, but buy it with money. No strings attached. You see? For the Lord your God, in verse 7, has blessed you in all the work of your hand. I love that. I love that. Because, yes, we're 40 years in the wilderness, and that 11-day journey became 40 years. And we touched on that a little bit last week, but we studied it in our studies through the book of Numbers. It was because of their fear and unbelief and what it, what it, how this fear of the recon team was endemic and it spread through the camp of Israel. And the Lord is disciplining as he disciplines those whom he loves. He's disciplining Israel. But even in that state of discipline, the Lord is blessing them. The work of their hands. They have the means to buy the food, the means to buy the water. But don't be freeloaders. Because where there's freeloading, there's strings attached. Oh, but I can take the sheep. I can take this. I can take that. And I could pull a profit. I can sell it on eBay and pull a profit. No, there's strings attached. Remember that. There's strings attached. He knows you're trudging, he says, which is in the Hebrew to walk, but to walk in a state of weakness. And he says, he knows you're trudging through this great wilderness. Just like we studied on Sunday. 
When Paul boasts in his weakness, he boasts in his infirmities. Why? Because in his weakness, the Lord is made strong. He is strong. His weakness equates to strength, and it's the strength of the Lord. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. You have lacked nothing. Now, turn with me really quick to Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9. And in verse 20, Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 20, we see this. You also gave your good spirits to instruct them. You see the, the Holy Spirit as an instructor. Yes, a helper, but as an instructor. Same today, same spirit. Elohim, the triune nature of God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is still in the same business, helping you and me and instructing us. In verse 20, and did not withhold your manna from their mouth. An Old Testament example of Christ as the bread of life. And gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness as what we looked at with the writings of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 2. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out. Very interesting. I have some old clothes. I, I personally like my old clothes. They got the rips. They got the tears. They got the holes. Some of my old shirts look like capes by now because they're just torn like crazy. But I like them. They're worn in spots where they're nice and comfy. They feel good. I love my old clothes. My wife, not so much. She doesn't like the old clothes I wear. Me, I love the old clothes I wear. But they don't last 40 years. I got like 15-year-old clothes, 20-year-old clothes. Now that I think of it, maybe, maybe a little, little bit older, but 40 years and these clothes did not wear out. You have this Old Testament example of putting on Christ as new covenant believers. These exhortations of the apostle to put on Christ, it's to, to, like, to drown in a garment to just immerse yourself in this garment of Christ. And you have this Old Testament example of their clothes did not wear out. A shadow of the things to come when you and me put on Christ. And their feet did not swell. The prophet Nehemiah, speaking on things of which Moses writes of Nehemiah writing of those things of the same which Moses writes of which aligns perfectly with what Peter says and John says and uh, Paul says why the same spirit Nehemiah is it going to say something which contradicts Moses Moses is going to say anything which contradicts Paul Paul isn't going to say anything which con which contradicts Nehemiah or Moses why because it's the same spirit servants in the same house and that of the Lord. You see? Everything aligns with Scripture. Genesis to Revelation, everything aligns perfectly. And so we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 2. You see God's provision. Not beholden to Esau. Because they're buying their food. They're buying their water. And Israel is not beholden to Esau. They're relatives, yes. There's blood relation, yes. But who is it that yields to the lordship of Jesus Christ? And the same thing applies for you and me. Yes, we have family relatives. We have, you know, blood relatives, uncles, aunts, sometimes immediate family, uncles, nephews, nieces. We have all cousins. We have everything. But 
that's a family tree in accordance to Adam. But in that tree, who is it that yields to Jesus Christ? That's a different family tree entirely. I have brothers and sisters who are near and dear to me. No, no blood relation in accordance to Adam, but there is blood relation and that is of Christ. The blood of Christ. A beautiful, beautiful family tree. I read these passages like this. It's like, wow, you know, it's like this is our family tree. Moses, uh, uh, Joshua, uh, uh, all these people, Esther, Samuel, beautiful, beautiful people. It's like, wow, this is our family tree in accordance to faith because as Christians, born-again Christians, we are grafted in. Just as the Old Testament, just as the law has provisions for Gentiles to be grafted in like Jethro, so too the new covenant believer is grafted in. You see? I mean, listen to our study in Romans. Romans 11. Grafted in. It's belief. Everything hinges on belief. And so we read passages like this and you see, wow, the Lord is the provision of the Lord. Not just the provision, the guidance of the Lord. How the Lord is instructing Israel for their journey. Yes, you're going to go in this region, but you know what? Don't, don't meddle with those your descendants, the descendants of Esau. Don't meddle with them. He says here in, in verse 8, the journey continues. And when we passed beyond our brethren, the descendants of Esau, who dwell in Sair, away from the road of the plain, away from Elath of Ezion Geber, we turned and passed by way of the wilderness of Moab. Then the Lord said to me, Do not harass Moab. Do not harass Moab, nor contend with them in battle, for I will not give you any of their land as a possession, because I have given Ar, which is our region, to the descendants of Lot as a possession. Now, we see that land is given. But God is forgotten. God is given to the Ammonites, the Moabites, all these descendants and descendants of Esau, yes. But God is forgotten. Just, just exactly what happened with Israel or, or with Egypt. How the Lord saved and blessed Egypt. And Egypt acknowledged the Lord. All of this is in Genesis through, through Joseph. The Lord saved Egypt through the wisdom of Joseph, through the one who yielded to the Lord. And in the course of time, Egypt forgot the Lord. You see, the Amorites forgot the Lord. The Moabites, they forget the Lord. The Lord gave them, uh, the Lord uh, uh, gave Mount Seir to Esau. The Lord gave Ar as uh, to the descendants of Lot in verse 9. But they forgot him. And these are people which become future enemies of Israel. Passages which we've studied already. We're just recollecting passages from earlier chapters of the book of Numbers. You see, and I speak of the Amorites, the Moabites, Egypt. But what about the USA, United States of America? Now, I teach from the United States of America. Now, if you're listening from South America, this isn't, I'm just giving an example. The United States of America has forgotten the Lord. We have forgotten the Lord. You know, and I speak as, a, as an American citizen. 
the Lord has, is forgotten in our lands. Now, what happens when the Lord is forgotten? Look at the state of the lands, the decay, the rot. Look at it. And it's going to get worse. Understand it's righteousness that exalts a nation. It's not a political figure. It's righteousness that exalts a nation. But you might be listening from South America, from Europe, from wherever, Australia, wherever. What happens when the Lord is forgotten? What happens when the Lord is not retained? You see, we're living in very dangerous times. Very, very dangerous times. Because Satan knows that the Lord is forgotten. Throughout the lands, the Lord is forgotten. But Satan knows it. And what do we see emerging on the world stage? What do we see emerging? This beast from the sea. We're seeing it. We're seeing the handiwork of Satan as prophesied. You see, bad things happen when the Lord is forgotten. You see it in homes. You see it in, you see it in an individual life. You see it in families. You see it in churches, in fellowships. When the Lord is forgotten, you see it on full display. And the Lord tells us, look at the fruit. You see? And so you see passages like this. As the Lord is guiding Israel, yes, you're passing through these lands. I gave these peoples that, those, those lands and don't meddle with them. And I love this because in verse 10, you see this, this opening of the parentheses and it closes at the end of verse 12. You see the, this little uh, Moses explaining things a little deeper. In verse 10, the Amim had dwelt there in times past, a, a people as great and numerous and tall as the Anakim, which the Canaanites. In verse 11, they were also regarded as giants like the Anakim, but the Moabites called them the Emim. The Horites formerly dwelt in Sair, but the descendants of Esau dispossessed them and destroyed them from before them as and dwelt in their place, just as Israel did in, to the land of the possession which the Lord gave them. You see, look how God saved and blessed Egypt through Joseph. But look how God did that. And then in Egypt, look how the Lord for, look how the Egyptians forgot the Lord. But the same thing happens here. How the Lord blesses a people, but yet the people forget. How the Lord blesses a nation and the nation forgets. How the Lord blesses an individual person and the person forgets. We see it. In verse 13. Now rise and cross over the valley of Zered. I love this because this is God's direction. And in obedience, what do we see in verse 13? So we crossed over the valley of Zered. I love it. Obedience to the Lord. No strings attached. It's not the descendants of Esau saying, hey, you know, I gave you this. So now, hey, instead of going over here, why don't you go over here? Why don't you do like this? Since I gave you these sheep. I gave you this. I gave you that. So therefore, why don't you stay over here? Why don't you come over here? No, no strings attached. You see Israel in obedience to the Lord. No strings. In verse 14, 
And the time came we took to come to Kadesh Barnea until we crossed over the valley of the Zered was 38 years. So you see the bulk of their 40-year wilderness experience was this, this passage right here in verse, verse 14. Until all the generation of the men of war was consumed from the midst of the camp. Now this is a result of their unbelief and their disobedience because remember the fear, the recon team went out. The recon team goes out. They come back to report. They go, whoa, these Canaanites are huge. They're going to kill us in battle. And so that generation says, oh my goodness, the fear is spread. And they wanted to go back to Egypt. And their unbelief spread. Their fear spread. Just as the Lord had sworn to them. All the generations of the men of war was consumed from the midst of the camp. Until all the generation, the men of war. I love that, the men of war. Because the men of war, you know, they might look like men of war. But what was in their heart? What was in their mind? Were they really men of war? Remember that first census in our study in the book of Numbers? That first census, the men of war. But in the second census, what do you see? Beautiful daughters of, you see females in there. You see the intercession of the daughters of Zelophehad. You see? It's so powerful. That's... That in itself is an Old Testament example of in Christ, there being no male, female, slave, free. All one in Christ. Unity in Christ. An Old Testament example. And so we see in verse 15, For indeed the hand of the Lord was against them to destroy them from the midst of the camp until they were consumed. Until they were consumed. Now remember, Numbers 14, verse 11, Now the Lord says, How long will they reject me and not believe? How long will they reject me and not believe? All these opportunities, the things that the Israelites had seen and in their murmuring and complaining what it led to. Where the Lord says, how long will they reject me and not believe? And this unbelief, it, it grew. And it grew within the camp that the fear of the the recon team, they came back and says, these Canaanites are so huge, they're going to kill us. They wanted to go back. To, it spread through Egypt, or it spread through Israel, and they wanted to go back to Egypt. It came at a heavy, heavy cost. But it's the exact same thing today. You might wonder, well, wait a second, how come, why, instead of this 11-day journey being 40 years, why didn't God, why didn't he take care of that first generation in like a month? And say, okay, next generation, let's go to the promised land. Why didn't he do that? Understand that the Lord desires to be hallowed in his people. That takes time. It's not immediate. For me personally, the way I hallow the Lord today in my heart and my mind is nowhere near what I used to 25 years ago. Nowhere near. Nowhere near 10 years ago. And I know, like, should the Lord tarry 20 years into the future? He will be hallowed more. The same with you. When we grow and mature in Christ together, the way you hallow the Lord today is going to be different than how you hallow Him in five years. Because it will be more your, your relationship with Him will be deeper. That takes time. And the second generation, they need to learn to hallow the Lord for themselves the first generation must die and when i say the first generation must die 
That's symbolic of your death and my death in Christ. We're born into Adam. We come out of our mother's womb. We're born into Adam. That generation must die. We have our. We believe in Jesus Christ. We have our water baptism. We go down in the water. That's our gravesite. The old man is dead. The old woman is dead. We come up out of the water in baptism. New creation in Christ. That's the generation that passes into the promised land. The second generation. Because the first generation must die. You see? In verse 16. <clears throat> so it was. When all the men of war had finally perished from among the people that the Lord spoke to me saying, This day you are to cross over at Ar, the boundary of Moab. And when you come near the people of Ammon, do not harass them or meddle with them. For I will not give you any of the land of the people of Ammon as a possession because I have given it to the descendants of Lot as a possession. You see, God repeats himself. He has a way of repeating himself. His prophets repeat themselves. His messengers repeat themselves. There's this repetitive aspect of the prophets and these messengers. You know why? Because of us. The Lord knows that we tend to forget. The Lord knows that you and me, we tend to forget. And yet these messengers, remember, remember, remember. Bind these things on your heart. Moses, he's going to die in the wilderness. And don't forget he was at the transfiguration with Jesus Christ. But he's going to die in the wilderness. And he's telling Israel, hey, don't forget these things. Remember how we messed up over here. Remember how we messed up over there and how the Lord corrected us. It came at a heavy cost. Don't forget these things because you're going to need it. Don't be, don't meddle with, the, you know, the descendants of Esau. Don't meddle with Moab. Don't meddle with Ammon. Don't meddle because you don't want them to lord over you. Don't meddle. When you get into the promised land, you yield to the Lord. No strings attached to anybody else, only the Lord. You see? But what parent doesn't repeat himself? What parent doesn't repeat herself? The kids grow, they learn. They matriculate, they grow, they mature. In verse 20, we have another verse uh, twenty another parentheses, which ends in verse 23. I love that because you have Moses. Oh, by the way, let me, let me tell you a little bit about this. A little explanation here. In verse 20, that was also regarded as a land of giants. Giants formerly dwelt there, but the Ammonites called them Zamzumim, a people as great and numerous and tall as the Anakim. But the Lord destroyed them before them, and they dispossessed them and dwelt in their place, just as he had done with the descendants of Esau, who dwelt in Seir when he destroyed the Horites from before them. They dispossessed them and dwelt in their place, even to this day. And the Avim, who dwelt in villages as far as Gaza, the Kaftorim, who dwelt, who came from Kaftor, destroyed them and dwelt in their place. You have this anthropological mention of Moses. A little deeper explanation. He says in verse 24, Rise, take your journey and cross over the river Arnon. Look, I have given your hand, I have given into your hand Sihon, the Amorite king of Heshbon, and his land. Now, this reflects back to our study in Numbers 21 when Israel was called to the fight. They're called to fight. We studied this in Numbers 21. Begin to possess it and engage him in battle. You see, God fights. Remember, God, you know, I I'm going to take care of Egypt, he says. But you take care of Canaan. These battles, that's for you, Israel. Because when you have these people, Israel, who are given unto the Lord, 
they become his vessels now. The battle is the Lord's. But when you are a vessel of the Lord, the battle is still his. You see, thus fulfilling what the word of God says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Sometimes Christians, they, 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 they start to get this idea of like, oh, wait a second, you know, like, you know, we can't do this, we can't do this, we can't. And I'm speaking in love, like, you know, beating people up. And I'm not saying like, you know, we're going to beat people up and be vengeful or anything like that. I'm not speaking in terms like that. But when we read the Old Testament, we have to observe Israel according to the flesh. According to the flesh. You, you read passages like this and it's like, wow, this is pretty violent. Israel's going to fight now. Well, we still fight. You and me, we still fight. Not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Remember in our study through Acts, how many times do you hear us say, like, you know, the offense in the book of Acts? There's the defensive posture of the Christian, but what about the offensive posture when we go on offense with our swords? You see, the spiritual aspect. I'm not trying to say, okay, you know, let's go beat people up. Let's go kill. Let's go do No, no. You have to be very careful because there's this seducers of these last days who are called the Hebrew Roots Movement. And they place heavy focus on Exodus and Deuteronomy and Leviticus and Numbers and the Torah. Very interesting how they place heavy emphasis on Deuteronomy. And they place very little emphasis on Genesis. They like to look at the law. But they don't like to look at pre-law. Eden. Before the law. They don't like to look at that. Now, of the Hebrew Roots Movement, the majority of these people, the majority of the teachers, not the, not the pews, or not the pulpit, or not the pews, but the, the pulpit, the majority of teachers that I have known are very, very, very perverted. Very sexually perverted. Because they like the sex. They like the concubines. They like that aspect of the law. This is how cults happen. I, I say that if you're Hebrew Roots, I love you. I mean, if you're in the pews of the Hebrew roots, I love you. And I say to you, come out of her, my people. Come out of her, my people. The law is holy, but there's a brighter light, and that's abiding in Christ. You want to abide in the law? Well, that's not abiding in Christ. You see, and we're going to study that when we start our study in Galatians. We're going to study that. But sometimes what we see in the camp of Christians... We look at passages like verse 24. Okay, Israel's going to go to fight. Look, it is written here in the Bible. And these seducers of these last days, they quote the Bible and they're quoting the Bible. But unsuspecting Christians, they read this and say, okay, you're right. The Bible does say this. So therefore, I want to please the Lord. So I'm going to do this too. But we read the Old Testament as new covenant believers. It's not that we leave the new covenant and go back to the old covenant because in the law is death remember our study in romans in the law is death it's a trap you see we abide in christ now we look at passages like this it's like okay there's this aspect of warfare you and me there's an aspect of warfare within us internally and externally 
the things that are at war within our members, the, the, the members which are at war against the things of the Spirit. That's the internal fight. The external fight is when the Spirit realm, demons, they're fully aware of who we are. They're fully aware of God's warriors and that there's still a battle. Remember in the book of Acts, in according to the flesh, Paul was beat up. The Christians were beat up. Paul was on the receiving end of a beatdown, left for dead. But in, according to the, in accordance to the Spirit, strong and mighty. And that strength is that of the Lord. You see, it's not carnal in nature. And so we see this passage here in verse... The end of verse 24, begin to possess it and engage him in battle. This day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you upon the nations under the whole of heaven who shall hear the report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. Now, this is Israel according to the flesh. You had people who weren't afraid of Paul. In our study in the book of Acts, they weren't afraid of Paul. They beat up Paul. But who was afraid of Paul? The demons, you see, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who in the world are you guys? The flesh wasn't afraid of Paul, but the spirit realm, the pneumos, the demons, you see, it's a spiritual battle, a spiritual fight. The demonic realm dreads God's warriors. They don't dread God's babies. They dread God's warriors. You see? Which is why we see this situation in Corinth where they were babies. You see, very dangerous to be, very beautiful to be a baby, but also very dangerous because babies can't fight. But to mature and grow in Christ... Satan doesn't want that to happen. Why? Because the demons lose. He loses. You see? And so Satan sends his servants. Remember our study? It just so happens that we study this on Sundays. 2 Corinthians, the spiritual warfare. Satan sends his servants. He sends them as the preacher guys to bring in these destructive heresies leading the destruction. You see? To prevent maturity in Christ. But look what happens here in verse 26. And I sent messengers from the wilderness of Kedemoth to Sihon, king of Heshbon, with words of peace. You see? Always peace. This, hey, look, you know, we don't have to fight. We don't have to fight. There's this opportunity for peace. And if you just let us go through your lands, everything will be fine. Everything will be good to go. But that wasn't the case. Look what happens here. In verse 27, or in verse 26, with words of peace, saying... And verse 27, let me pass through your land. I will keep strictly to the road, and I will turn neither left nor right nor to the left. You shall sell me food for money, that I may eat and give me water for money. Remember, no strings attached. That I may drink. Only let me pass through on foot, just as the descendants of Esau who dwelt in Sair and the Moabites who dwelt in Ar did for me until I crossed the Jordan to the land which the Lord our God is giving us. But Sihon, king of, Hesh king of Heshbon, 
would not let us pass through. For the Lord your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate. Now, remember, Moabites are descendants of the generation that was saved from Sodom and Gomorrah. And we see this in Genesis 19. But what happened is that the Lord was forgotten. The Lord was forgotten. And we see what happened with Egypt when the Lord saved and blessed Egypt and the Lord became forgotten. And what happened when the Lord became forgotten? You see, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And he hardened his heart. He hardened his heart. And finally, the Lord says, okay, I'm hardening his heart. It's a form of judgment. But we say that we see the same thing today in Christians in the church. I say inside the church, but it's happening among Christians. But there's this movement today called Exvangelicals. Exvangelicals, former Christians who have denied the faith. It's exactly what we see in Romans 1. Remember our study through Romans? Turn with me really quick to Romans 1. Romans 1. And in Romans 1, we see this. Verse 21, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. You see the, the very early stages of letting go of God, the very early stages of forgetting God. They knew God, but he wasn't glorified. He wasn't hallowed. They knew God, but they weren't thankful. And as a result, they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools. You see that digression. They became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like incorruptible man. Verse 24, God also gave them up. Not God gave them up. God also gave them up. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. God also gave them up, which means what? The people gave up God. They turned their back on the Lord. People who knew God in verse 21. They knew God. In verse 20, his, invis his invisible attributes are clearly seen. In verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed. You see? And in verse 24, God also gave them up. So they gave up on the Lord. God gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their heart to dishonor their body among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. Exchanged. Exchanged the truth for the lie. And worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up. These are some of the saddest words in the Bible. In verse 24, God also gave them up. Verse 26, God gave them up. Verse 28, God gave them over. You see? It's a form of judgment. A form of judgment. But we see the exact same thing in passages such as in Exodus where, you know, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Yes, God hardened his heart as a result of Pharaoh hardening his. In Deuteronomy chapter 2, let's go back to Deuteronomy 2. But in Deuteronomy 2, we see in verse 30 that the Sihon, king of Heshbon, would not let us pass through for the Lord your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate. Now, 
What's prerequisite to that? The heart was already hardened. You see? I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not a Calvinist. The Calvinists say, look, God did this, God, but they don't read and understand not just why, but how it happened. Oh, but Jacob he loved and Esau he hated. Yes, keep reading. He was a fornicator. You see? A fornicator. Oh, but Jacob he loved and Esau he hated. Yes, a biblical truth. But don't forget, keep reading about Esau. Now, since I mentioned it, turn to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, verse 14. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, you see, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. So people cite scripture. Oh, Jacob he loved and Esau he hated. Yes, a biblical truth. But why? Why? That's why you say keep reading. Because you keep reading and you're going to get to Hebrews 12 and understand that Esau was a profane fornicator. You see? It's so powerful when we have this full counsel of the word of God. And understand the nature of his ways, how he works, Old Testament and New Testament. Also understanding that he never changes. Never changes. Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 2. Deuteronomy chapter 2. Now you see that Sihon now. There was this opportunity. Look, everything could have been fine for you. Everything could have been fine for you, Sihon. King of Heshbon. But now, you're entering judgment. And the Lord is going to use his vessels. Israel. Now, Prophetically speaking, I'm not advocating violence in any way, shape, or form. But prophetically speaking, something similar to this will happen again with the host of heaven when the Lord returns. He came the first time as a lamb. He's coming the second time as a lion of the tribe of Judah. And when he comes, the host of heaven, it's... Things such as this will happen again. How vengeance comes on the land through the vessels of the Lord. And vengeance, God's vengeance is going to come on the land again through his vessels. And I'm, I'm not advocating violence in any way, shape, or form. But these things are prophesied to happen. Just as judgment came to Egypt, to, to Egypt God's wrath came to Egypt. God's judgment came to Egypt. But you hit the rewind button with Egypt. And God's grace and mercy came to egypt but they forgot you see just like the descendants of esau they forgot just like the descendants of lot they forgot 
You see? And so we read in verse 31. And the Lord said to me, See, I have begun to give Sihon and his land over to you. Begin to possess it that you may inherit his land. Then Sihon and all his people came out against us to fight at Jehaz. And the Lord our God delivered him over to us. So we defeated him, his sons, and all his people. We took all his cities at that time and we utterly destroyed the men, women, and the little ones of every city. We left none remaining. We took only the livestock as plunder for ourselves with the spoil of the cities which we took from Aroer, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, and from the city that is in the ravine as far as Gilead. There was not one city too strong for us. The Lord our God delivered all to us. You see? Now, we can look at this and be like, wow, you know, they're fighting in battle. Wow, victory, victory, victory. And yes, but this is Israel according to the flesh. For you and me, according to the spirit, our fight is spiritually. Our fight is spiritually. Remember, internally first, how we wrestle against the things of the flesh. We learn to grow and mature. We have victory in the spirit, but we have victory in the Lord. But this victory is reckoning the old man dead. This victory is reckoning the old woman dead. This victory is carrying our cross. And then remember, in and then through, our study through 2 Corinthians, in first, then through. And these victories, it happens in, 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 in. No more crack, no more sex, no more drugs, no more this, no more that, no more the cult, no more Buddha, no more this, no more Ouija boards, no more this. It's like these battles are won within and then externally. The fight we engage in battle. Remember the sons of Siva, how the demon says, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who in the world are you guys? They knew Paul. But the battle was first within him. You see? And here Israel, according to the flesh, as new covenant believers, the same exact thing happens to us, but in accordance to the Spirit. He says in verse 37, Only you did not go near the land of the people of Ammon, anywhere along the river Jabok, or to the cities of the mountains, or wherever the Lord our God had forbidden us. And you see, this is the obedience of Israel unto the Lord. And these battles of Israel are according to the flesh. And Moses is telling the people before they enter the promised land, Hey, you guys, remember these things he's telling them. Remember these victories. And he's he's reflecting back to these past battles because we studied this in Numbers. The battles that are, had come and gone. And he's re- reflecting back on these past victories. And in some passages, bam, and look at verse 14. How, you know, the, until all the generation of the men of war was consumed in the midst of the camp, just as the Lord had sworn to them. For In verse 15, for indeed the hand of the Lord was against them to destroy them from the midst of the camp until they were consumed. Well, because we have this understanding of numbers, we know exactly why that happened. The Lord is re- re- reactionary to the fear of Israel, which led to disobedience, which led to unbelief. You see? And then the Lord says, remember our study in Numbers 14, verse 11, how long will they reject me? How long will they reject me and not believe? This is Israel according to the flesh. 
And Moses telling them, don't forget about these battles. Don't forget when we messed up. Don't forget about these battles. Don't forget about the victory. In chapter 4, or in, 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 in chapter 2, don't forget about, in chapter 3, don't forget about these victories. But then we get into chapter 4. And Moses is going to reflect back to the fall. Remember with Balak and Balaam? Balaam, a short-term believer? Balak is a type of Satan? And he doesn't send the mighty men to attack Israel. You know who he sends? The women. The women. You see? And what did the men of Israel, the, the warriors of Israel do? Because of their interaction with these women, now they start to bow the knee to Baal. The Lord becomes forgotten. Moses in the book of Deuteronomy is going to reflect on these hard passages, these hard things, these hard uh, remembrances in the camp of Israel, but it's for a reason. For the next generation that is passing into the promised land, don't forget the Lord, you guys. Don't forget the Lord because he's everything. He is absolutely everything. Do not forget him. Honor him. Glorify him. Praise him. Worship him. Obey him. That's what Moses is giving to this next generation. And how beautiful is it that all the prophets of the Lord, the messengers of the Lord, Old Testament and New Testament, don't forget the Lord. Honor him in all your ways. Glorify him in everything. Honor him. Don't forget. And if you have to reflect back to painful things, if you have to reflect back to things where you messed up, if you have to reflect back on, then so be it. Don't forget. Because, you know, this battle, it's going to come again. This fight, it's going to come again. Satan is relentless. Satan is relentless. The attacks will come at all time of the day, any day of the week, any month of the year, any year of a decade, the attacks will come. But who is ready for the fight? And I speak spiritually. This is Israel according to the flesh. But for you and me, the battle is spiritual. And yet we fight the good fight of faith. We fight the good fight of faith, not for a week, not for a month. Until your last dying breath, we fight and we engage. And yes, the victory is the Lord's. The victory is 100% the Lord's. And in yielding to him as his vessels, we praise him, we worship him, and we glorify him. We're going to end our study here. And next week, Lord willing, pick up in chapter 3. To the beautiful people of the way, God bless you. I love you.